Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. We're praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you through his word. We trust that in seeing him, you will be moved to take your next step in loving God and loving others. If there's any way we can serve you, please reach out through mountainside.online. Amen. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to see you. If you're visiting, I am not one of the pastors here, but uh, Pastor Lyle is on vacation. I have the privilege to serve with the Ministry of Word of Life. We are going into week eight of our camping season, our eight and final week, so uh, just continue to pray for our team there. Uh, pray for Pastor Lyle and Becky and, and uh, the kids as they're away on vacation this week, that they're having a great and refreshing time as well. Well, thank you, Brian and the worship team, uh, for that, that uh, tremendous uh, time in, uh, in worship this morning. If you, if you were paying attention to the words... Uh, in the first song we sang, the, the word chaos came up a couple of times. In the last song we sang, the word hope came up a couple of times. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. And as you do, I want to talk this morning about hope in the midst of chaos. Uh, hope in the midst of chaos. And if in the last, what would we say, three and a half years... If you have used any of the following words, uh, crazy, unpredictable, frightening, unstable, uncertain, who knows, frustrating, infuriating, or maybe to sum it all up, you have said the word chaos, right? It does feel like our world uh, is getting back to whatever normal is now. And uh, sometimes, I was telling someone the other day, about eight months ago, I was in the security line at the airport, and I had a moment where I just stopped and went, am I supposed to be wearing a mask right now? <laughs> and literally had to look around at other people and discover, okay, no, I'm, I'm all right. It just sometimes those flashbacks uh, come back and get us. But as we're talking this morning about chaos... Uh, there's probably other words that you could have used to describe the same concept, but we are, and I believe we will probably continue to live in chaotic times. But I think what is exciting is that as I read history, especially church history, the gospel has advanced in some of the greatest ways in times of chaos. And so if that Maybe you look at this world and you go, I just wish everything was different. Why don't we start looking at the world and saying, God, whatever you're doing in this moment, may your gospel, may your truth be advanced. Uh, and so as we look this morning at Exodus chapter 2, a couple of summers ago, I spoke here at Mountainside, uh, back when we were in the gym, if you remember that summer, uh, the summer of 2021, and uh, from Exodus 14, when Moses was leading his people out of captivity, I, this morning I want to back all the way up to the beginning of Moses' life. And one thing that's really stuck out to me over the last couple of years, I've done quite a bit of reading and studying on the life of Moses and particularly in the book of Exodus. And one thing that stuck out to me as I've studied the scriptures about his life is this thought that I think will be on the screen, and that is, 
Moses' story does not begin with Moses, it begins with God. And as we are about ready to look at the beginning of Moses' life, what we need to realize is that it really didn't begin with him at all, it began with God. And what we'll see as we go through this and as we connect this to our lives and where we are today is that our story doesn't begin with us either, it begins with God as well, right? Uh, We are not the center of our own universe like we sometimes like to think we are. Uh, Our story ultimately begins with God. But let's do just kind of a a brief overview of the years leading up to Exodus chapter 2. Go back quite a ways. Uh, So God founded the nation of Israel, and you know the fathers through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God gave Jacob a new name, which was what church? Israel. Israel. And then Jacob has 12 sons. Of his 12 sons, Joseph was one of those. And Joseph was a tremendous man of integrity. And he thrived in the midst of crazy and difficult circumstances. And God used him in incredible ways. Uh, Even when probably most of us would have thrown in the towel and quit, Joseph continued on and God used that. And eventually... He ends up becoming a hero in Egypt because God used Joseph to save all kinds of people from a famine. And uh, you kind of fast forward a little bit. We're not going to get into Joseph today because that's not where we are. But fast forward through all the drama with his family. And eventually, Joseph has his father and brothers come and live with him in Egypt the rest of their lives. And so as we start If we were to read in Exodus chapter 1, what we would be seeing in chapter 1 is that there are 70 of them in this family, in Jacob's family, Joseph being the one who had brought them there. So years pass, Joseph dies, and from this 70, God is building a great nation of people, and within a few hundred years, the Israelites grow from 70 to probably somewhere over a million people. And while this is happening, a new king arises in Egypt where they are, and either he refuses to acknowledge the history of Joseph and his family and what happened, or he just truly doesn't know went on what went on, which I imagine it was the, uh, the former more than the latter. Um, the new king, or the pharaoh as they called him, realized that the Israelites are growing and growing in number and growing, and God is blessing them, and he begins to get a little bit nervous about it. He's nervous about uh, these Hebrew people living amongst them that possibly they might eventually take over. Um, And so what happens in Exodus chapter 1 is he starts to try and stunt the growth a little bit, and the first step is, I'm just going to make them work really hard. This will slow down their growth, and so hard physical labor, make them work hard, make them work hard. Well, guess what happens? They just keep growing. So he says, okay, that doesn't work. And so the next step that he says is he says, I'm going to make them my slaves. And uh, the work is going to get even harder, and eventually the, uh, the supplies get less, and we'll, we'll read and see a little bit more about that as, as you go on in Moses' life and in his journey, but he terribly mistreats them, but they kept growing. So Pharaoh's plans aren't working, and so he decides that he is going to get all of the Hebrew midwives together, and he's going to instruct them that when a 
Hebrew baby boy is born, uh, that Hebrew boy is to be killed. This will surely stunt the growth. But the Hebrew midwives, thankfully, feared God more than they feared man, and they disobeyed this order. You can see that in, in uh, Exodus 1.17. And I love what one pastor said in thinking about this idea of fearing God rather than man. He said, fear God, not man, and what to do gets very clear very quickly, doesn't it? Sometimes we struggle with what the right thing to do, but when we stop fearing man so much and we start fearing God a lot more, many times the decision is a lot easier. It's really easy to come up with it. We just don't typically like the answer, even though we usually know the answer. And so this is where um, we find the Israelite people in Egypt. Nothing is working. Pharaoh is panicking. And so now instead of just bringing the Hebrew midwives into it, he decides to bring the whole nation into it, and he instructs that all Hebrew boys that are born are to be thrown into the Nile River. And maybe you've heard it said, desperate times call for desperate measures. Well, Pharaoh must have been desperate because this is extremely desperate measures uh, where he's at at this time. So all of that background to where we're going to be this morning in Exodus chapter 2, this is where we find ourselves, all Hebrew baby boys thrown into the Nile River. Read along with me the first 10 verses. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, there probably is one in front of you uh, on the, uh, under the chairs in front of you, or just read along or follow along with me. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed, among, placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Verse 4. And his sister, talking about Moses' sister, stood at a distance at, uh, to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the daughter went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So just three, I think, incredible principles. When we talk about hope in the midst of chaos this morning, three in the midst of chaos principles that I think we can learn uh, from this passage this morning as, uh, as we spend some time in the Word. The first one is this. In the midst of chaos, God raises up people. In the midst of chaos, God raises up people. So in Egypt, there was an Israelite couple, Amram and Jochebed. And Jochebed 
gives birth to a baby boy. Which, by the way, if you're paying attention to the story, we call him Moses, but he doesn't actually receive his name until his mother returns him uh, to live in the palace. And so we're going to call him Moses, even though we don't know what they really called him during the years that he was at home with his mother. This couple already has two other children, an older daughter and a three-year-old son. And now, during a time when all Hebrew boys are to be killed, they have another son. And verse 2 tells us that Moses' mother saw that he was a beautiful, or depending on the translation, fine child. Actually, if you were to go to, in the New Testament to Acts chapter 7 and verse 20, Stephen, talking there, says that he was beautiful in God's sight, right? Let's be honest. Most babies, really, when they're born, really aren't that beautiful, are they? Okay. Yours was, I know. Your, your child was, was beautiful, uh, and, but all children really are, are beautiful. But the principle here, the concept, is not necessarily about his looks, Okay. Uh, at least I think. That's, that's the best I can gather from the principle, especially when Stephen says he was beautiful in God's sight. That's kind of like me saying I make a joyful noise to the Lord, not to any of you, but I make a joyful noise to the Lord when I sing. So we don't know for sure. We don't, we don't know uh, really what the uh, physical looks have to do with this, but somehow I believe his mother... Uh, is convinced by the Lord, and however he revealed it, reveals this to her, that there's something special about baby Moses. And maybe even that God is going to use him in an extremely special way. Possibly even that maybe this is the one who would eventually lead their people out of captivity, out of slavery. I don't know what to what level of revelation Moses' mother got, but there's something impressed upon her to the point that she is... Not only when she is trying to save and when they are trying to save Moses' life, what you need to realize is that they're putting their own lives at risk when they're doing that. And they have two other children, and so it probably would have been easy to think, well, we can't put our other two children's life at risk just to try and save this little baby, but that's exactly what they do. They put all of their lives at risk in order to save the baby. Now, the next part of the story is the story that to me seems maybe the most miraculous, and that's that they kept a baby hidden for three months. And apparently this baby didn't have a set of lungs like my three babies did when they were little. Because I don't know if three minutes would have lasted um, in our community. But they were able to hide baby Moses for three months. But when it comes time that they can hide him no longer, uh, they actually take the next steps. But I think it's important for all of us to hear this morning as we read through this passage that God had a very specific plan for Moses' life and he was going to carry that plan out no matter what the circumstances were going on around him. If you think about it, you think about the absolute worst time for a baby boy to be born that would eventually be the one who would lead his people out of captivity, it would be this time that he was born when all Hebrew baby boys were being killed. But isn't it like God to say, in the midst of that chaos, that's when I'm going to raise up someone to do what I am calling him to do. I love what uh, we read in Jeremiah 1.5, where it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
And I think we can take that application for ourselves this morning, and I think we can do it rightly as to say that God knew us before we were ever born, and that he has a very specific plan for each and every one of our lives. And the chaos of the times, or even your family, or whatever the situation that's going on in your life right now, really isn't what the story is about. The story is about what God wants to do with and through each of our lives. So back to Exodus 2, they were able to hide Moses for three months. The little boy comes to a time they can't hide him no more. And so before we move on to the second principle, I want you to think about the world that we're living in today, how things seem to be out of control in so many ways. However, it's important to realize that throughout history, and we talked about this earlier, the crazy times seem to be the times that God chooses to advance the gospel. And many times throughout history, when Christians begin to face persecution and opposition, which I don't even think we can claim in America that we face persecution, okay? But when we face opposition, it's during those times that we shouldn't just throw our hands up and go, well, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't think anything can be done. Our hands are tied. I don't know what's going on. That it's the, at those times that I believe God wants to advance the gospel. It seems even more that he uses those times throughout history. And so here's the, the second principle. The first principle, be, principle being in the midst of chaos, God raises up people. Second principle, when hope can be found nowhere else or when hope seems to be lost, God provides a way. God provides a way. So throughout human history, God has always provided a way, hasn't he? When they could hide him no longer, Jochebed makes a basket out of bulrushes. She covers it in pitch or tar to waterproof it. And she put the baby in the basket and takes him and places him among the reeds in the Nile River. I want you to think of, if this was, you know, if you want to kind of think of it this way, I want you to think of the irony of that. What was the command from Pharaoh for all baby boys? That they'd be thrown in the Nile River. And where does Moses' mother put in place Moses? She places him amongst the reeds in the Nile River. That's I almost think that God chuckles when things like that happens. And uh, just the amazing way that only God can work. He always is there to provide a way. And the, uh, you know, Moses' older sister follows at a distance. We read the story. You see, you see what's going on. Uh, but I want you to, I want to point out to you the, um, the Hebrew word that's used here for basket is a word that's only used one other time in the Old Testament, and that was actually to refer to the ark. And uh, so that you see the Hebrew word there, teba, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm certainly not a Hebrew scholar, uh, but think about it. The first time it's used, it's describing the, the boat that, that Noah builds that uh, saves humanity, and the second time it's the little basket that is built that eventually a baby is placed in that he eventually leads God's people out of Egypt. Uh, I just think that's amazing uh, to think about and understand uh, this morning as we're looking at this passage. And so she places the basket among the reeds and Miriam, the, Moses' older sister, he follows along and watches at a distance 
And God had a plan for this family, and this plan is being carried out. And so I want to go to the third principle, and we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, uh, and that is this. When we are blessed with a gift, God requires stewardship. When we're blessed with a gift, God requires stewardship. So Pharaoh's daughter, she comes along. She's watching the whole thing unfold, probably not sure exactly what is going to happen. And when she sees, and I, the part of the story I'm not 100% sure on is, you know, did they place Moses in a spot where they knew that Pharaoh's daughter was going to come to the water? Was that just a God-ordained thing, or was it a combination of both? I don't know for sure, but God clearly had his hand in the placement of where they put the basket. And Pharaoh's daughter comes out to bathe. She sees the baby, and as the baby is picked up, she has compassion on the baby, which is interesting. She recognizes that it's a Hebrew baby boy, right? Which we all know what was supposed to happen to Hebrew baby boys, but she has this compassion on him. And she does not carry out the, the plan that her father had for Hebrew baby boys. I just think that's interesting as well. You see God's hand of protection all throughout this story and what he was doing. And so Miriam offers, hey, would you like for me to go find a, uh, a Hebrew lady to, to nurse this baby for you? And of course she goes and gets her mother. And the kind of the cool sense of humor part of this story is that now Moses' mother gets paid to take care of her own child. Any of you ladies looking for that gig? You're like, nobody paid me to, to take care of my kids. But that's, isn't that just God? I like God to do that and provide in, in that kind of way. And so we don't know how long she had Moses. Could have been a couple of years. Some scholars say it could have been as many as 12 years. I don't know. It's probably somewhere in between before she actually returns him to the palace and he lives until he's 40 years old, and that's more of the story we're not going to get into today, uh, spends the rest of the time in the palace. And it's at that moment that she names him Moses, which means I drew him up out of the water. And so I look at it this way. God blessed Mo, or, um, Jochebed with a baby. She was faithful to take care of that baby. And then God even returned the baby to her again. But we know the rest of the story that she then returns the baby again to the palace. And I believe that she had the right perspective, meaning she recognized that Moses and really all of her children were a gift from the Lord. They didn't belong to her. Uh, they were gods. They are gods. And therefore, as a, as a gift, there's something that she's been entrusted to take care of for a while, she has the responsibility of stewardship in her life. To take care of Moses for however long she has him, but then to return him and trust the Lord with him. I would say over the years of working with young people now for 26 years, if I'm just really honest and blunt, one of the most frustrating things I've dealt with over the years are parents. Now, I'm one, so I can say this, okay? God is working in a young person's life, and the parents are more concerned about how much money their child will make someday than they are in their relationship with the Lord. They're more concerned that they'll make a good life for themselves than they 
are concerned that they will live a life that honors and glorifies the Lord. Or they're concerned in their physical safety to the point they don't want them to go anywhere and do anything. And when I first came into the ministry 26 years ago, my first uh, regional director, some, someone that many of you probably know, Don Kinzer. And uh, Don and Joan were uh, great examples to Lynn and I when we first came. We had no children yet, and, and uh, we were just young bucks not having a clue what we're doing. And they made a statement to us one time. They said, you know, we don't raise our children to keep them at home. We raise them to send them out as arrows, right, as the Scripture describes, that they might be used by God. And that's hard as a parent. Like, we like keeping our kids close to home, close to the vest and protection. And there's a certain amount of time that protection is a major part of that, right? Our, our twins, our youngest, just turned 18 in May, and I felt like having a celebration. I kept them alive for 18 years. Like, that, it's amazing. I don't, the first, when we first, you know, we bring our first child home, it's like, wow, it's getting real, right? I have to, like, we have to keep this little one alive, uh, and, you know, it. But it's more than that, isn't it? Uh, it's raising them to know and love the Lord and to send them out to serve the Lord. And so may we as parents not look at our children as ours, but may we look at them as His. And that we have been given them for a time to steward them, to take care of them in the best way that we can. But when that time comes, be willing to have open hands and give them back to the Lord. I should be his already, right? But give them back to the Lord and say, God, these kids are yours anyways. Would you take them and use them in whatever way that you choose? And so we see how God put Moses in this position. And I don't know exactly what happened during those years, but I happen to believe that Moses' mother, as a, as, a, as a little child, even as a baby, began to say things to him like, God has a really special plan for your life. I believe that he's going to use you in a, an incredible way. And, you know, those are, those are words we ought to be speaking to our kids as well, even if they're not our own kids, uh, to speaking to, to, to young people around us, that God does have it. That's not just words, that's truth, right? That God has a plan for their lives. He has something special that we don't know what it is. And God calls us to take care of them for that short amount of time. It goes so fast, as, as we know. I think of just the willingness of my own parents to have the, this kind of hands open. What you may not know about me is when I was younger, my dad was a butcher, and uh, he and his brother owned a meatpacking plant, and when he got into his 40s, he realized, I can't do this hard work for the rest of my life, uh, I can't be a 65-year-old butcher. I don't think I'll make it. And, and he began to think of a new business, and he opened a sporting goods store when I was 15 years old. And one of the reasons he opened a sporting goods store is because I love sports, and he loved sports, and it'd be a great family business that he could hand off to me one day. And that was the plan that we had. But when I was 20 years old, God called us to something different. Uh, that wasn't God's plan which was hard for me. I still love sports, by the way, uh, but it was, it was hard for me. But I'm so thankful for parents who said, if that's what God is calling you to do, you go. And we'll support you, and they have supported us for 26 years in the ministry that God has called us to. I'm thankful they didn't put a guilt trip on us. You're really going to move away? You're going to leave us here with this business? 
Now, you know what the neat thing is? My only sister, my only sibling is a sister, and the guy she married is the guy that now runs the business. And so God had a plan, didn't he? And actually, my nephew is, is helping in the business. Now, it, God is always in control. He always knows what's going on. And when we try and manipulate a situation because we think God has made a mistake, or God, I don't know, maybe you forgot about this part over here. God, did you not realize this was happening on this side? If we just continue to have open hands with our own lives and with the lives of those that we have care of, God does amazing and wonderful things. If you were to fast forward Moses' life and then go back and watch it on replay, there are many words that would describe, accurately describe Moses' life. Uh, there are words like beautiful, undeserving, blessed, spoiled, murderer, Coward, bold, disobedient, faithful. And if you look at those words on the screen, I just think there's a lot of contradictions in those words. <laughs> and how can all of those words be describing the same person? But isn't that kind of true of many of our lives? I really don't want you to make a list for me. I don't really want to see the list. But I'm so thankful that God takes the chaos, even the chaos of our lives that we have created. Because sometimes the situations are out of our control, and sometimes we've just made our bed and we need to lie in it, right? We've made the mess. But God takes both of those situations, and he somehow, in an amazing and miraculous way, used them for his honor and his glory. And I mentioned this earlier. Moses' story it's very common to other people's stories in one particular way, and that is that it does not begin with Moses. It begins with God. I think also of Esther and how Esther questions how she can make a difference. And Mordecai reminds her that God is doing and is going to accomplish his work. It might as well be through you. And Esther 4.14 says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I, I love that verse. One of the reasons I love it is it reminds me that God doesn't need me. Right? First of all. You, you see the first part of that verse? If you choose not to obey, God will do it another way, basically. But think of what you are missing out on and the deliverance in this case that she had for her own people. I think of the prophet Jeremiah who was writing to the Jews who were exiled from Jerusalem and Babylon in Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse we all know very well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I think of Romans 8, 28, another very popular verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Because it is God who works together all things for good. It's not me, it's not you, it is God. So what does this mean? Three circumstances I want to bring you into and then we'll be close to wrapping up this morning. If Number one, if the circumstances in your life are stacked against you, primarily because of what other people have done to you or around you, you are in the right place because God does not waste pain and suffering. He did not in Moses' life, and if you allow him to do his work, he will not waste it in your life. Number two, if the plans of your life to this point 
are full of chaos or destruction because of the mess that you have made of your life through poor choices, then you're also in the right place because it is God who can bring chaos into order. He did so in Moses' life. And we read later as we move on that Moses got himself in some hot water. But yet God still used Moses. And then the third life situation. If your life is pretty good right now and you're comfortable, you're cruising along without much care in this world, you've got a great group of friends, your family is okay, and life is just kind of on cruise control, God may just be calling you to get out of your comfort zone and turn your world upside down for Jesus Christ. He may call you to do something uncomfortable for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same God who called Moses out of his comfort zone to lead his people home is the same God who may call you out of your comfort zone to reach people in his name. You see, at different points in Moses' life, he lived out each of these three scenarios that I just read to you. And as we said earlier, one thing we have in common with Moses is that my story, your story, does not begin with you. It begins with God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, right? Not in the beginning, Brian. <laughs> in the beginning, God. And one of the things we discover in the Bible is that true greatness does not revolve around the people that God uses, but around God himself. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Moses is one of the most well-known people in the Old Testament and all the scriptures, and yet it almost ended before it even began. He shouldn't have even survived. He shouldn't have made it. But God is the one who instigated it all. And he's also the one who instigated our redemption, isn't he? That's why Jesus Christ had to come to earth, because of the chaos. When God the Father looked down and saw the mess that we had made of ourselves and realized that our sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of our sin is death, which is spiritual death, which is to be spiritually, relationally separated from God. But then that verse goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent his son Jesus to come to earth, live a perfect life, the life that I should have lived, but I can't live and neither can you. And he went to the cross and willingly suffered and died. You realize that, right? He gave up his life. They didn't take it from him. He gave up his life for us on the cross rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, so that you and I might have a relationship with him. And so if the chaos of your life right now is beginning because you do not even have a relationship with God, that's where it starts. It starts where, with what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me when he died on the cross. And the Bible says that if we put our faith in Jesus and what he has done, that he will forgive us of our sins and he will bring us into a relationship with God. It's amazing what God did in Moses' life, but can I just tell you, and it may not be as on as grand a scale and it may not be as recognized or as noticed, but God has a very specific and very personal plan for your life as well. He's the one who instigated it all and he's the one who will be with us and continue with us. And so as we wrap up this morning, my challenge is kind of twofold. 
first of all, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's where it has to begin. Without Jesus, there is no relationship with God. There is no spiritual life. That's where it must start. And myself or Pastor Dave or, or any of the other people you have seen up here this morning would love to talk to you about that. Love if you want to begin a personal relationship with Jesus. We'd love to walk you through that. But then the second is maybe you're here and you say, I know Jesus, but I feel like my life is in the chaos right now. And can I just tell you, that's not all bad, okay? But are you anchored in the hope of the midst of the chaos? That's the difference. Because life can be chaotic, but if our anchor is in the hope that only God can bring in our lives, that only Jesus can bring in our lives, that is when we can then have a peace and a hope in the midst of chaos. Because you see, what God has done for us through Jesus is not just for us to know for salvation, it's also for us to be remembered and reminded of every day as we live our life, that it's his grace that we need every day. We need to continue to be anchored in him and his truth every single day. Can we pray together this morning? Lord, I thank you for your word. I'm just so... I look back over my life, a lot of chaotic times, but you have always been the anchor in the midst of the chaos. You have always been our hope, my hope in the midst of the chaos. Lord, there's so much that you have done that none of us deserve. Your rich blessings, most of all, sending your son Jesus. Lord, may we anchor ourselves in you today. May we not lose sight of the hope that you bring when we rest in you. And Lord, as we continue and leave this place in a few minutes and go back out into seemingly the chaos, Lord, may we do it knowing our life has a purpose, knowing we may meet someone today that needs to hear about Jesus. We may meet someone today that needs to be encouraged. We may meet someone today who just needs a smile and a kind word. Lord, may we be that, that you've called us to be. And as you brought hope in Moses' life, may you bring that hope in our lives as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.